Welcome to Eye to Eye, the podcast of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists. My name is Sunil Mamtora, and I will be your host. So today I'm joined by Julian Jackson, the founder of an organisation called VisionBridge, and actually a patient himself who suffers from retinitis pigmentosa. Julian, thank you so much for joining me today to discuss all the great things that you've been doing, and hopefully some advice for ophthalmologists as well. Just to start with, could you just tell the listeners a bit about yourself and what you've been doing? Absolutely, Sunil, and thanks very much for having me on. Um, So yes, as you said, I am a a patient myself. Um, I consider myself still a patient, funnily enough, uh, because I live in hope that there will be a a treatment for retinitis pigmentosa one day. Um, But um, I started this journey essentially way back in 1965 when I was diagnosed with with RP, um, along with my my twin brother, who is uh, also blind now. And uh, it was an interesting moment in, in, in my life and certainly in my understanding of, of eye research. Um, at Moorfields Hospital, the consultant had suggested to my mother that um, we go to see faith healers. Um, and of course, it, it, it didn't really hit me until much later on in life how revealing that comment was about where eye research was at the time, uh, I believe, of course, the consultants were all doing their best. Um, I did feel a little bit like a, um, a specimen in a jar, I suppose. Uh, they were very curious, very interested in, in my genetic history. Um, but it was very revealing, I think, that even though they were trying to do their best, there was nothing really to offer me and other patients like like me. Um, now, of course, uh, you know, reel forward 50 plus years, and uh, it's extraordinary how everything has moved on uh, since um, in terms of um, surgery, treatments, um, prevention, um, lots of work around restoring sight. Um, you'll know a little bit, I'm sure, something about gene therapy and stem cell research. But walk into a hospital now and there's amazing testing and measuring and monitoring and even robotics now in surgery. Great drug delivery uh, mechanisms now being invented. And of course, uh, assistive technology, which of course we can come on to later on to rehabilitate patients. So uh, that was essentially my um, entree into um, the world world of sight loss. Um, I was always night blind. Uh, so that was an issue, um, certainly during my years of education and um, then into university and then into employment. Um, I was traveling a great deal until I went completely blind. But of course, you have to work out a lot of strategies, coping strategies. Um, I had a few very close shaves um, where I hurt myself falling over, falling into huge holes in the ground Um falling out of an aeroplane that was actually parked up. But um, again, that was at night, um, no lights on around the airport. So all sorts of things like that that went on um, in my life. And that essentially uh, molded uh, what I then did um, when I went completely blind in 2010. And I slowly discovered um, that there was very little knowledge around eye research around basic discovery science, around 
the work to improve treatments uh, and so on. And so I made it my my mission essentially to get out there and, and advocate for eye research um, to bang the drum for all those academic scientists and clinician researchers who work upstream of hospitals and clinics and who um, deliver um, into clinics um, and elsewhere um, all sorts of treatments and, and other things. Um, but I felt then and I feel now that there just isn't enough talk about that. So Vision Bridge is a social enterprise which I launched in 2016. Um, it does a number of things. As I said, advocate for eye research, but you know, promotes eye health um, and also um, certainly facilitates um, a lot of uh, development funding into new technology spinning out from universities in the private sector. And also, and this is very current for me right now, um, we support a lot of online learning around assistive technology for uh, eye health and healthcare and allied health professionals, as well as uh, social care workers um, and um, a whole range, in fact, of, of professionals and patient support groups, which is um, very encouraging to to um, to experience that. There seems to be a great um, need and interest for more information about technology that can rehabilitate patients, whether they've got a, an eye condition or a disease that um, can be treated or untreated. And certainly this also ranges into systemic disease too that can impact on sight. So Vision Bridge essentially covers a, a, a number of areas, um, advocacy uh, being one, connecting finance to tech is another, and supporting online learning. We're also planning to launch the Assistive Technology Action Alliance, which is really there to bring tech developers from around the world much closer to the end user and, and patient. You'd be amazed, Sunil, how little tech developers, in my experience, really listen to their potential end user before they actually design a piece of technology. It seems to me at the moment that technology is being driven for the sake of technology. And so there needs to be a much, much mm. closer eye, if you like, um, placed on just how something is designed, the ergonomics of it, the functionality, the usability, and so forth. Um, so do, you th do you think, do you think technology companies well. are doing better than they've done in the past to optimize their software and products for users with regards to accessibility features? Yes, I, I do. I think there's a, certainly a growing awareness amongst tech developers that they need to be much cuter about um, creating technology that is more appropriate, more tailored to the context in which people are working or using their leisure time or simply you know, running their lives. Um, mm. And you can see now, even five years ago, compared to t today, that there are devices out there which are slicker, smaller, um, much more powerful, um, do a better job, quite frankly. And the diversity mm. is extraordinary as well. And, and this is one of, of the big issues, um, I think, Sunil, is that there are massive 
obstacles in the way to maximizing access to assistive technology. And that's why I'm so keen to be able to talk to uh, your listeners about um, the role that they can play in, in breaking down barriers to, to assistive technology. Uh, and one of them is um, the lack currently of understanding and awareness of what is, what is actually available out there. Sure. Well, before we go any further, could 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 sure. we just could we define the term assistive technology? Because this is a term that mm. I think you've used a few times, but some listeners might yes. not be actually aware what it is. Mm. Well, so that's a hugely good question, an obvious one, which I should answer straight away. <laughs> um, assistive technology c- comes in many guises. You can you can have head mounted displays, for example, which can improve vision. So you have. Um, devices that can 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 deliver m- better magnification. Um, they can improve acuity. They can improve field of vision, uh, depth perception, color differentiation, contrast sensitivity. Um, there are devices, um, including apps on mobile phones, both Android and iOS, that can help the visually impaired and blind orientate and navigate. Uh, there's a lot of work going on currently on what they call internal mapping of, of buildings. How, how do you get from A to B within a building and how, you, how can you understand the context in which you are standing and walking? Um, we've all heard of GPS outside, but when you get inside a venue, um, it, it's a very different matter. So there's a tremendous amount of work going on uh, there. There's a lot of new software um, in computers now in terms of um, quicker um, delivery of um, text-to-speech, um, speech-to-text. The accuracy of it is improving um, all the time. Um, and, um, and then, of course, you've got um, some really interesting uh, technology that um, makes the the usability or improves the usability of um, mobile phones. Um, you can, and this again is interesting. If you have an eye conditional disease that, that affects you in terms of glare, um, you can you can dim the brightness on your phone. You can brighten the colours on your phone. You can um, magnify icons. You can stop moving image and flickering images on the phone. Um, there's work going on in terms of haptic feedback now on mobile phones. Um, there's a lot of Braille interface as well, N- not just on phones, but you know, brilliant electronic Braille readers. There's literacy support and readers. You wouldn't believe the number of people out there who may have lost central vision um, and cannot read their newspaper or their book or magazine or look at the computer or the telly or whatever. And so there are um, devices now that can, can read hard copy text. Um, there are head-mounted displays, of course, that can help you with, um, um, if you've lost your peripheral vision, they can help with that. Um, and as I said earlier, if you lost your central vision. So um, there's, there's plenty of, of technology available and that is what I would call assistive tech. Um, I mean, Sunil, I, I just have to put this all into context. Five years ago, there were some fairly big charities saying that um, access to assistive technology was was not great and we had to do something about it. And five years on, nobody had done anything about it. And so I felt 
duty bound really to go out there and start talking about this kind of thing. And I'm delighted to say that the, the pickup amongst um, everybody from um, the primary care sector, from the optometrists and the dispensing opticians to um, the allied health professionals, including consultants um, in secondary care, has been tremendous. I mean, even the social care sector is now saying they want to have more information about assistive technology. And the key thing here is not just about awareness and understanding. It's also about um, where do you find this technology? And we all can appreciate that the NHS is under huge strain financially, as well as in many other ways. So it's going to be a tough job to encourage government to fund the technology that I'm talking about. So um, yeah. what I think what, what we need to do is to at least give patients the choice um, of going direct to um, a distributor that, that, that is a source of information and guidance and advice um, and support before they start thinking about what sort of tech might suit them. But at least um, they, 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 they can go straight to a, a, a company. Um, I'm delighted that uh, consultants and many, many other professionals that I talk to are becoming less queasy, shall I say, about talking about private companies. Assistive technology undoubtedly costs money, but I'm a user of assistive tech. I have something called the OrCam, which does many, many different things and does cost. Uh, so does the JAWS software that I use in my computer. Um, but I appreciate the value of those devices and solutions rather than just think about the cost. And also there are many, many trusts that support charities in this country that can actually fund devices for the end user, for the patient. Uh, so I would always encourage uh, people to to shop around, as it were. Um, we are on a huge journey here to, as I said, raise awareness and understanding of the technology, the ingenuity, the range of technologies out there, but also to create a much shorter, sharper, more direct line of sight between patient and the technology itself. And sure. I'm... And I'm um, very passionate about that particular initiative because I know what assistive technology can do in terms of improving mobility and independence and certainly support emotional well-being and mental health and improve people's whatever stage you are in life, but it can certainly improve educational and employment opportunities as well. So what um, would you what would you say are the most important things that you feel that ophthalmologists must know? You know, how would you summarize those into the, the key things that you'd want ophthalmologists to know about assistive technology? Sure. Well first of all I would say I would I would love consultants ophthalmologists to understand the range of, of assistive tech. I'm not asking them to become experts, but simply to be aware of the sort of devices and solutions uh, that are are out there. Um, secondly, to, to know where patients can can find them, can find this technology, and thirdly, to really provide patients with more hope 
And going back to the beginning of this conversation, when I was at Moorfields in 1965, none of that was available uh, to me. But it really is now to patients, um, you know, in 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 2020. Um, I would also um, urge consultants to get a better feel for what I call a connectivity beyond their surgery. Who else is out there who could actually talk sensibly about tech? And again, to answer that question, um, we are spending, and I collaborate with the company Sight and Sound Technology, um, we are spending a great deal of time delivering online sessions which feature live demonstrations of, of this tech um, to a huge range um, of voluntary sector organizations out there, rehab officers, um, various networks like the Clinical Research Network that you'll be familiar with, the Clinical Excellence Network, many, many speech and language therapists and occupational therapists within the CEN um, in the UK are coming forward and putting their hand up and wanting more information. Um, so, you know, we're tangling with lots of different groups and organizations. Patient support groups are very keen to know more as well. And the really exciting development is that um, we're now able to tailor particular online sessions to uh, certain demographics and, and patient profiles, uh, which is, is re really good news. So this also encompasses patients who have visual processing problems and other sensory challenges and not just vision issues. Um, and that's where a great deal of um, audible description comes in. There are some wonderful um, devices that can also recognize objects, faces, color, money, and even barcodes on foodstuffs in supermarkets. And mm. that is, is absolutely crucial because sometimes, as you know, Sunil, in your position, uh, you, you may have come across people who can see but can't actually process what they're seeing. Uh, so any sort of description uh, uh, about an object or somebody's facial expression um, or the color of something or the proximity of something in, is, is, is fantastic. And I, I must just mention one particular device, which uh, I, I think is, is, is remarkable. And this, is, and this really highlights the interface between human beings and technology. There's something called Be My Eyes which you may know, but that is essentially um, a, a system which is completely free of charge uh, where you can uh, dial up volunteers um, around uh, the world. But in, in the UK, there are in fact 10,000 users of the Be My Eyes app on the mobile phone. There are 180,000 volunteers and you could put out a call to any of them saying, I can't find uh, my dog or I can't find my pen or what is this bottle in the fridge and or I can't read my prescription could somebody help me whatever and somebody will come on and read that for you or describe whatever the object is in front of you for, or find your dog and, and I think that's just a wonderful app and I would encourage people mm, to, that's um, to use it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and what, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you think about the use of voice assistants, such as Siri, Alexa, or Google Voice, to really help people with visual impairment to assist them? 
I think it's a remarkable development, and I, I can only imagine it's going to, uh, to become um, better in terms of uh, flexibility. Um, they, they're, sort of, they're very intuitive, actually, these um, uh, these devices. I mean, I use Alexa a, a, a great deal um, for for many things, and um, I well, I, I mean, Alexa has been around for what five or six years now. Um, Siri, I think, is very popular. And, um, he keeps on getting better, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're always improving, and um, I, I think losing one's sight is 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 a very alarming, confusing, disorientating, certainly isolating experience um, at the beginning. I can only talk for myself, um, but with technology, uh, it can it can for me it hugely improve one's quality of of life. And opportunities, and you don't need to be a tech head to experience um, the value of, of assistive tech. And um, I just feel, you know, to make that point again, that whether you are a nurse, uh, an orthoptist, uh, a hospital optometrist, a rehab officer outside of the hospital, the clinic, um, whether you're a, a consultant ophthalmologist um, or an ECLO in, in a hospital, whoever you are. Um, I hope that my initiative currently ongoing in the UK will will help to infuse and encourage people to to come forward and want to learn more about it and just be curious, actually, about the extraordinary innovations going on uh, because Mm. they will continue. And um, because they're continuing, um, I'm also wanting to create a filter in in the UK through which um, these new developments that tech developers out there all around the world can come through um so that and i'm in touch with many many tech developers and there's some incredibly exciting things coming down the track um, but if we can set up a filter which actually looks at the appropriateness of the technology um and also helps perhaps to trial some of this tech with with patient cohorts um We've actually agreed to do this with, with one or two NHS trusts already. Um, uh, then, then I think um, it, it, it's all—it's all to the good. Um, because in the end, we're talking about the it's for the ultimate benefit of patients. In the end, mm. yeah. I've just got one last question for you, if that's okay, Julian. And that's just you know going back to what you said right at the start of the interview, and that's like how you said that when you were first diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa in the eye hospital you felt almost like you were treated as a specimen. You know, mm. If you go back to that initial diagnosis, that initial period, which it sounds as if you've thought a lot about, what do you wish could have been done differently? And what would you say to ophthalmologists when considering diagnosing someone with a life-changing diagnosis such as yourself? Mm. Well, I have to caveat again what I, what I said, which is that I felt that consultants really had no option then. Um, mm. They were only doing their best. Uh, but... In an ideal world, um, there would have been uh, uh, much more empathy. Um, There is no good way to tell somebody bad news, let's face it. But I think that there might have been um, a little bit more of that. Um, Certainly, as I said earlier, um, if I had been shown some kind of roadmap of um, the prognosis, um, how it might have impacted or could impact on my my life, um, any sort of conversations around 
um, where to go beyond the, the, the hospital, who to go and speak to. Uh, but again, um, that sort of support network just wasn't available then. Um, it is now. Um, there are many more voluntary sector organisations involved in this kind of thing. Um, there's plenty of technology available. Um, people just need to know about it, need to know how to get their hands on it. Um, they, they need to have proper guidance and advice. And I just feel at the moment um, it's also inconsistent and very yeah. haphazard. And so um, that, that's what I hope uh, people nowadays being diagnosed uh, with whatever condition they have, um, that they, they get the support they need, really, um, yeah. and get pointed in the right direction. Yeah, you're having, you know, I, I can't agree with you more there. And having seen firsthand the amazing work that Eclos do, I completely agree with you that there is so much that those those professionals can offer to people that I think we take for granted now, but in the past, I'm sure wasn't the case. Yes, I mean, I, I absolutely applaud Eclos. I think they do a fantastic job. And in fact, we run online sessions for Eclos to try and keep them up to date with what is out there. But that doesn't um, preclude the need um, to also um, bring professionals like consultant ophthalmologists up to speed also uh, with, 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 with what is out there. I, what we're trying to do essentially, Sunil, is create a safety net um, of advice, information, support, um, and access to technology around all patients in this country who may have some sort of form of vision impairment that may or may, may not be treatable, um, who have visual processing or other sensory challenges. And we're doing that essentially by improving the knowledge um, of, of professionals, patients, and others about assistive tech and um, linking all the dots together along the patient referral pathway and just making it easier for patients, whether they're coming direct from primary care or secondary care, to get uh, in front of um, somebody like Science Sound Technology who know what they're talking about. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Julian. I've really appreciated that. It's a great pleasure, and nice to um, nice to be with you. Thank you. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to get involved, talk about your work, or have any feedback, send us a message at communications at rcops.ac.uk.